welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, today we are going to start our new series. It got put on hold by about a week, and so we're going to start it today. And it's something we've entitled Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries. Uh, and basically, the series is an overview. Everyone say overview. It's an overview of the book of Acts. That means it's not a Bible study. It's not an exegesis of the book of Acts. It's not a line upon line teaching. It's simply an overview. And the aim of this overview of the book of Acts is to motivate, inspire, and activate us, the church, into greater action. Hence why it's called the book of Acts. It's not called the book of sitting there doing nothing. You won't find that in the Bible, sit there and do nothing. It's the book of Acts because of the great acts the early church did. And so I pray that through this series, it will motivate us to greater action for God. And secondly, I trust it will give you a greater appreciation and love for the Word of God. How many of you like action, adventure, thrills and spills, violence, coarse language, romance? It's all in the book of Acts. It's all there. And so if you, if you, you know, like all those sorts of things and you, you go to the DVD store and you hire those movies that have all those things in, open your Bible because it's all there. In actual fact, our son Mitchell, who's 12, just turned 12, he's been reading his Bible and he's just finished the book of Acts. And he was so disappointed that it came to an end. He was just like so disappointed that this incredible book with so much action and, and so much violence and romance and, and thrills and spills and all those things had come to an end. And then he had to go on to read other parts of the Bible. But he just loved the book of Acts. And I thought, man, if an 11-year-old, 12-year-old can love the Word of God that much, surely we can too. And so I, I trust that through this series, you get a greater love for the Word of God. Having said that, the first part of our series, I've entitled Up, Up and Away. Obviously referring to the ascension of Christ. What you need to know about the book of Acts is that the author is Luke. Okay, Luke wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. The recipient of the letter is Theophilus. And although we are unsure exactly who he was, I do want to say that uh, if you break down... Theophilus, it's for Theo, Phil, and us. Okay, so it's for everyone, basically. This book is for us. It was written for us. And the purpose is to explain what happened since his first letter. Luke writes his first letter, okay, and he records all that Jesus began to do. And Acts is a record of all that Jesus continued to do through his church. You got it? Great. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first three verses initially. In my former book, Philosopher, <laughs> Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Basically, Luke sets up 
this letter with a compelling argument that Jesus Christ is not dead, He's alive and He rose from the grave. And He says there are many convincing proofs, although He doesn't list them. But if you read in other portions of the Word of God, you'll see that He was around for 40 days before His ascension. You'll know that He was uh, seen on 11 different occasions that the Bible records. He was seen by over 550 people. He was seen by believer and unbeliever. See, some people think that uh, it was the believers that desperately wanted to see Jesus that they hallucinated and they imagined that they saw him. But it was actually unbelievers as well as believers that saw him. In actual fact, there were no believers in the resurrection because not even the believers believed that Jesus would rise from the dead. And so there was this multitude of people. It wasn't just one person who was you know, hungry and thirsty and just saw an oasis in the desert that looked like Jesus. No, there was over 550 people, believer and unbeliever. These people touched Jesus. These people saw Jesus eat fish and eat meat. And he writes all of this to say, don't worry. Don't throw away your confidence. Jesus Christ is alive. Let's continue reading. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, On one occasion, having laid this platform that Jesus Christ was alive, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going to at this time sorry, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and India and the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from his sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. A whole heap of things we can draw from this portion of Scripture this morning. I want to look at a few. The first thing is this, based upon what we've read this morning, that we need to wait before we work. We need to wait. Everyone say, wait. Turn to the person next to you and say, hold on. Say, slow down. Wait. One more time to the other person, wait. I'm massaging this point in because if there's one thing I know about humanity is we hate to wait. Turn to the person who says, are you impatient like I'm impatient? We're impatient by nature. We've got to wait before we work. And I say that because Jesus was very clear about what he wanted his disciples to do. And that was to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and make disciples, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there's a whole heap of work and there's a whole heap of doing to be done. 
But with that in mind, Jesus also said, before you go and do all that stuff, before you go and preach, before you baptise, before you disciple the nations, before you get really busy, I want you to slow down and wait. In actual fact, he went on to say that your work will only be as effective as your willingness to wait. We hate waiting, don't we? We are quick to jump into things without the right equipment. Can you imagine if some of our young people who went skydiving recently in their enthusiasm to jump out of a plane got so carried away they didn't have the right equipment and they just jumped out of the plane without a parachute? Now the issue isn't they shouldn't have jumped out of the plane. The issue is you need the right equipment if you're going to do that sort of thing. Yeah? I mean, we got all six of them come back safe and sound because they had the right equipment. In other words, they they waited long enough to be instructed about what to do, when to jump, what to put on, what to wear. In actual fact, all that, all the instruction takes longer than the actual jump itself. And I wasn't there, but I can only imagine, because I know some of the guys that were there. Now, I, I know some of you, I do. And I can only imagine it went something like this. Oh, yeah, 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 come on, get on with it, get on with it, get on We just want to talk about the plane. Am I wrong? Am I right? I'm right, aren't I? I'm right. I'm always right. <laughs> There's one thing you learn about me, I'm always right. The only time I've been wrong is when I thought I was wrong. And so we're impatient. We just want to jump out the plane, but we've got to make sure that we've waited. And so it is with our walk with God. We've got to wait. We've got to slow down. There are many people that wanted to save the world for Jesus. Got burnt out. Do you know how Christians that are in Adelaide, that are no longer serving God. And the reason they think is because the church said this and the church, and I was let down. It's got nothing to do with it. It's that we forgot to wait. We forgot to clothe ourselves. We forgot to empower ourselves. We often sit where we're sitting listening to people preaching, thinking, oh yeah, that that sounds good, I want to do that. But so much of what you see take place up here is a result of what you don't see. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has this incredible moment. He's ushered into the desert to be tested and to be tempted. It was God's will for him. And so he goes into the desert and he's there for 40 days. And after 40 days, the devil turns up and says, why don't you turn these rocks into into bread if you're the son of God? And Jesus just smashes every one of the devil's arguments. 
I don't know if you're anything like me. You think, man, I'd love to be able to answer like that. I'd love to be able to be that strong, bold and courageous and clear. And we can if we're prepared to do what Jesus did before. And what enabled Jesus to speak with such clarity, boldness, purpose and courage was his willingness to wait. Those words that he spoke when being tempted came out of three things. Silence, solitude and the scriptures. Jesus saturated himself in silence, solitude and the scriptures. And as a result, when he needed to say something, he had something to say. See, I appreciate your encouragement that you give me based upon what I share Sunday by Sunday. But the biggest part of what I do is not this. This is the smallest part of my role. Some might think that I'm fairly charismatic, fairly opinionated, fairly strong. And I think there's a measure of truth to that. But that's not based on personality alone. Those things come out of something that I do every morning. Every morning I get up at a certain time while it's still dark and while it's still quiet. And I create a moment of silence, solitude. I mean, we've got a small home. It's not a massive home. And we've got three kids. And I guard my solitude. And so I tiptoe around. And I shut the kids' bedroom doors so as not to wake them because I want silence and solitude. I realise in just a little while, it's going to get very noisy. In just a little while, it's going to be pandelirium. It's going to be crazy. But this moment is very precious to me. And it's at that moment, Kath and I will sit down in silence and we'll read the Word of God. Silence, solitude, and Scripture. And if we will make that the daily pattern of our lives, I believe that when tempted, and when tested, and you will be tempted, and you will be tested, you have something to say, and you have strength to stand. See, the reason we don't do temptation well is because we've got no strength to stand. Because we're too busy doing, doing, doing. But Jesus, as was his custom, he got up early. There's a revelation for some. Get up early and have some silence, some solitude and read the scriptures. Three times the devil accuses Jesus and three times Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the last time he said this, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that's the order our Christian life has to be. Worship first and then work. Jesus didn't say serve God and if you have some time, worship him. He said worship first and out of your worship will come work. It's not one or the other, it's both and, but it must be worship first. It must be relationship first. And so Jesus had a great victory because of silence, solitude, and the Scriptures. And I believe we can have great victory. I don't want to just be victory by name. I want to be victory by nature. I want to see young guys 
have a strength to stand and overcome temptation that comes with all those hormones that are raging. You can't complain about the hormones God gave you. You can't blame God. God has given you power to overcome temptation. And whatever the temptation, whatever the test is for us, if we will have a moment in our day where we have some silence and solitude and get the Word of God into us, I believe that whatever we do for God will be far more effective than if we don't. If we don't wait first, eventually whatever God is asking us to do will wear us out. And then what we do, we change the word of God to suit our sorry, tired lives. But if we will worship first, if we'll wait on God, and Jesus was very clear. He said, guys, I've got a big job for you to do, but don't go anywhere. Just wait for my gift to you. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Pete's going to talk more about that tonight. Bible says in Psalm 46 verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I love that. The noise, the drums, the electric guitar, the shouting, the jumping up and down should come out of a stillness. See, some people think it's not about always being quiet. It's about being quiet enough to have a revelation of who God is. And when you have the revelation of God, who God is, shout to the Lord. Make a noise. So it's noise and silence together. Does that make sense? It's not about being silent, having revelation to be silent. It's not about just being noisy, noisy, noisy. It's about being silent, fresh revelation, and then being loud with the revelation we have. Second thing that stands out to me is this, to keep the main thing the main thing. See, the disciples wanted to know when Jesus would restore the kingdom of Israel. Jesus was back from the dead. This must be the moment when Jesus was going to restore Israel and free Israel from the tyranny of this Roman domination. They still miss the point. We tend to miss the point today with our end time theology. When's Jesus coming back? Some people think that 2012 is the year Jesus is coming back. There's many false prophets gone before us and have given us dates and times when Jesus is coming back. And all of that is to miss the point. The disciples wanted to know, when's this kingdom going to be restored? We want to know, when's Jesus coming back? And he answers by saying, don't worry about that. He keeps the main thing the main thing. He doesn't pander to our fascination for the future. Jesus responds with the main thing. And he simply says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to be my witnesses. He doesn't give them a date. He doesn't give them a time. He says, no one knows the time. No one knows the date except the Father who has set that time by his own authority, which makes him God. He says, don't worry about that stuff. Don't get caught up in that. Just keep the main thing. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. In Adelaide, India, Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Don't get caught up in all those little arguments that take place in church life. When's this going to happen? Why does that happen? Why this? Why that? What colour sandals did Jesus wear? I don't know. They're probably brown. I don't know. Did Jesus have long hair? Did he have short hair? Did he have this colour? And we have people arguing and debating and talking and reasoning about all those things. And you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Jesus keeps the main thing the main thing. We can go through this life not knowing a whole heap of things. If we just keep the main thing the main thing, we can still be very effective. And so I want to encourage the church not to get caught up in all the little trappings that people want you to get caught up in. Just keep the main thing the main thing. Just have an active, vitally alive relationship with Christ and share out of that. You could do worse than that. Thirdly, what goes up must come down. Just as Jesus was taken into heaven before their very eyes, two angels interrupted this little moment. I mean, come on. I don't know how you read the Bible, but Jesus is standing there. They're thinking, when's the kingdom going to be restored? This is exciting. This is awesome. We've touched you. We've seen you eat some food. This is great. This is the day that you have made. And then he just disappears. I mean, this is not CGI. This is happening before their very eyes. This isn't like a 3D movie. Jesus is standing there and then gets taken up into heaven. And they're like, what just happened? And then if that's not weird enough, two angels come. (laughs) Where did they come from? And they say, why are you looking up there? Because I don't really know, actually. I just, I don't know. I love the fact that the Bible is full of things we can't explain. That's what makes God, God. And they're like, they said, just as Jesus left, that's the way he's going to come. And so there's an encouraging message to the disciples. Because God knew all that they were going to go through. And there's this encouraging message that no matter what you go through, know this, that just as you saw Jesus go, Jesus will come again. And this message was both an encouragement and a warning. It was encouragement knowing that Jesus would come back. But it was also a warning because Jesus predicted that there'd be many false messiahs. There'd be many false prophets claiming to be Jesus. Knowing this to be the case, in Matthew 24, 
Verse 23, it says, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time, so that if anyone tells you, There he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, and is visible in the West, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, everyone will know about it. It won't be something that happens behind closed doors. The whole world at one time will know that Jesus Christ has come back. And my fourth and last point this morning is simply this, that everything rises or falls on leadership. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21, reading on, it says, Therefore, if it is necessary, it is, sorry, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time, the Lord was living amongst us, beginning from John's baptism to the time Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph and Matthias. Then he prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Basically, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he went on to hang himself. And so the 12 apostles became 11. And Peter recognized that we needed to replace Judas in his role. And it couldn't just be anyone. It needed to be a certain somebody who'd been with them from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, who had seen his death, who'd seen his burial, who'd seen his resurrection. There are some requirements for this position. And so they replaced Judas with Matthias. And the reason is because God was about to do some incredible things. Acts chapter 2 is all about church growth. It's about signs and wonders and miracles. It's about incredibly exciting stuff. But all that alone, I want you to catch this, all that alone will not build a great church. See, church requires leadership. Ministry is not all spiritual. We can't just be a people that sit around and sing Kumbaya. That's not going to turn the world upside down. All these events need ordering. Ministry needs management. And the end of Acts chapter 1 is quite a boring bit, really. They had this business meeting. And they talked about who was going to replace Judas. And they didn't really know, so they prayed. And then they cast lots. And then the lot fell to Matthias and said, okay, you're the man. It's not exciting stuff. If you're only after exciting your life will never get off the ground. 
Much of my life involves and revolves around meetings. In order to keep the church going forward, there's a lot of boring, mundane, much needed meetings to be had. It's not just signs, wonders, miracles, exciting stuff. And that is true when you build a church and it's true when you build a family. It always saddens me that when there's a separation in family and the mum, for the most part, is left to bring up the kids and the dad comes on the scene occasionally and he's Mr. Excitement. And it just makes mum's job that much harder because when dad's around, all we do is play games. And as a church, we're not here just to play games. We're here to build something. And when you build something, it takes more than just games. Yes, there are times of fun. Yes, there are times of of games and all that. But it's much more than that. I believe that I'm married to an incredible woman and we have an incredible family. But I believe it is that way, not because we just play all the time. But we have meetings and we have discussions and we have discussions and we have meetings and we have meetings and we have discussions. Just last night I was talking to Mitchie about something that went down. I wasn't too happy about it. Probably overreacted as a dad. And then I had to come back and say, Mitchie, this is what I really meant. This is what was really going on on the inside of me. This is what I really... And we have, have this meeting. It's not pleasant. It's not exciting. But it's what keeps us healthy. It's what keeps us strong. This moment right here, right now, is proof of what I'm saying. Some of you are like, come on, let's just sing a song. Let's just, uh, let's just pray for somebody. There's a place for that. And there's a time for that. But there's a time for us to also to say, hey, come on. Call yourself Christian. Get baptized. Come on. There's a place for that. It's how you build a life. You don't build a life in disobedience. You don't build a life by doing whatever you want to do. You don't build a church by letting everyone do what they want to do. You build a church by adhering to the Word of God and having discussions, be it discussions like this or the one-on-one or small meetings. I mean, I have so many meetings. But I believe miraculous and incredible can be built on the mundane. And so if your life's feeling a little bit mundane right now, hang in there. Miraculous is not far away. I I love my Pentecostal heritage. But I'm over the Pentecostal aspect It's all about signs and it's all about wonders and it's all about fun and it's all about excitement and it's all about something happening. In Acts chapter 24, we're going to get there later on in this series. Paul's been put in jail. There's a change of government. And in one small verse, two years of Paul's life is written off. It says two years later, Paul. (laughs) Two years put into less than a sentence. Doesn't sound too exciting. Jesus said, 
to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say make believers. He didn't say make immature Christians to do whatever. He said make disciples. That's my mandate. And as a church, it's our mandate. And I believe everything rises or falls on leadership. Acts chapter 2 is an incredibly exciting book. The church has an explosion of growth. It goes from 120 people to 3,000 overnight. But in order to hold the 3,000, they needed leadership. And so God in his supremacy, sovereignty and wisdom, makes sure he's got everything in place first. Get all the boring stuff in place first for the incredible outpouring. It's the boring before the outpouring. Tweet that. And if you hang around long enough, you see the fruit and you say, it's all worth it. There's a long road seeing Norm on the front row here. You're on the front row these days, mate. I mean, what's going on? It's a long, boring, slow road to get you on the front row. It's all worth it. His lovely wife sitting next to him going, it's Let's not be impatient. Let's not be immature. But let's be the wholehearted followers of Christ that he intended us to be. And what is modeled to us in this incredible book, a book of action, the book of Acts. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.